Get ready to be inspired as we welcome a truly remarkable guest on How I Got Here with Drina Whitfield. Today, we have the privilege of hearing about the extraordinary journey of Fatu B. Barry, a Ghanaian-born, New York City-raised serial entrepreneur and strategist. As the founder of PR Girl Manifesto, she has built a digital community of over 40,000 professionals reimagining the PR and communication space while providing resources, fellowship, and mentorship. Get ready for an inspiring conversation with Fatu on how I got here with your host, Drina Whitfield. Let's dive in. I have been a follower of the PR Girl Manifesto brand on social for a minute now, and it's amazing to see the growth and the nuggets of information that you share and trends and insights. So I'm really excited to talk to you today just because our industry Oftentimes, that meat of what makes the the work actually happen is often overlooked just because of the world we live in now. And so I'm excited to talk to you. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I am such a big fan of the podcast, not only, but you and all the amazing work that you are doing. So it is a pleasure and an honor for me to, to be here and to uh, get to have this conversation with a pioneer in our industry like you. Girl, so you better you. stop it. Uh-uh. What? Stop. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. No, I'm serious. You're definitely like somebody who, like the work that you all, you are doing with the agency, the work that you're doing, just I think in like representation for other like black PR professionals is so important and I'm and it, it, it's funny because it's one of the things that like when I entered the industry was lacking so it's just so great to like have women like you in this space who are excelling and, and doing amazing things and not just doing amazing things but like on the behalf of like black businesses and like mission consistent um, and social impact orgs that are helping the communities that we come from oh my god you about to make me cry I was not ready for that this morning thank god our cameras are off <laughs> <laughs> what I'm not the best at taking uh, praise or receiving praises, so I appreciate that. I know you're a Scorpio, so I got it. (laughs) Okay, so you know how we roll, you know. So I want to get started. I want to take it back to like high school. I always ask this question with everyone that comes on. It's like, when you were graduating high school, what did you write in your yearbook when it said, in 10 years, Fatu will be da-da-da-da-da? What did you write? This is funny because for people who've known me for um, a long time or know me on an intimate level, they know this about me, but I thought that I was going to be the next Anna Wintour. So (laughs) that was what I would have told that in 10 years, Tatu is going to be on her path to being the Black Anna Wintour. Mm. So I thought I was going to work in fashion, which I mean, I ended up working to some degree in fashion, but more so I thought I was going to be on the fashion journalism side. Um, Uh I had loved writing all through middle school and high school. And it was the profession that I thought I would find myself in. So I thought that I was going to be a journalist. And I had also had a deep love for fashion. This is like the era when um, like a lot of these, like, you know, fashion blogging was a thing. Um, So the OG fashion bloggers still building on like Blogspot. It just had, it it attracted me. Yeah. So if you had, in high school, I would have told you that I would have been a fashion editor at like a Harper's Bazaar or an L or a Vogue. I love it. That's so funny because um, I wanted to get into fashion PR and it was just, it just didn't align for me. Like folks were just trying to have me start off as interns after I've already had a job. And it's very, it was a very white dominated space um in terms of like PR so that's so funny and plus I, I just love Anna Wintour and the Double. you know Double is probably is my movie now yes. <laughs> but I love that so talk to me a little bit about when you graduated high school what what did you pursue in college was it journalism yeah no so I ended up going to so I think to explain coming from like a traditional West African family, my <laughs> my things in going to college were right. We're like, all right, at this juncture of my life, how far away can I get <laughs> from family? <laughs> Love them deeply, but need, you know, a little bit of space and freedom and college was there to give that. So I was looking at like different programs around the United States. So I did pursue 
when I first got to college, fashion merchandising, um, I went to school in Buffalo. And the reason I went to school in Buffalo was because it was the nearest school with like a fashion program that wasn't in New York City where I grew mm-hmm. up. So I was like, all right, this is a good like eight, nine hours away. It's not like, you know, I'd have to live at home or pop, you know, my mom or, you know, family could pop up on the weekend that easily. <laughs> I was like, this feels like a good move. So I went to school in Buffalo. Um, I did fashion merchandising with a minor in creative writing and actually hated it, right? I did not enjoy the program at all. Mm. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So I ended up switching. I kept my creative writing creative writing minor, but I ended up switching out of the like the fashion merchandising program. So did not pursue journalism, but pursued creative writing and found myself in the communications department. And then that opened my eyes to like so many options in terms of like what a future could look like that allowed me to really like, I think, you know, use the skills that I, you know, wanted to. So my love of writing and then also like my love of of, of being able to like help people, right? It felt like working in communications and seeing everything that fell underneath it is where I found like my happy medium, which ended up being the public relations department. I love it. I think, you know, what's so great about the communications industry, it's like it's so many different facets to that umbrella of of the industry, right? So, like, you can go into TV production, yeah. you can go into, like, PR, you can go to, like, you know, speech writing. So, for me, it was a similar experience with college. Like, I, w- I went as a poli-sci major, uh, business minor, yeah, child. And I still love politics, but those poli-sci classes, I was like, I can't do this. Mm-mm. And then I went to communications, and I was like, oh, wow, there's all these different facets to this industry and, and, you know, I'm a, I love to write too. So it just aligned for me. So when you graduated, what was your first job in the comm space then? Interestingly enough, my, I started working in like in the communication space while I was in undergrad. So in college, I, again, the era of like blogging, right? I actually had like a menswear blog on Tumblr that I would just religiously post to. And through that, I was found by this amazing, amazing woman who worked for this company that essentially, one of the brands that founded the company was Mark Echo Cut and Sew, right? And so they asked me to be like a social coordinator, right? Mm. For the Mark Echo Cut and Sew brand. So like, you know, essentially like curating for their Tumblr, for their Instagram. And this is when Instagram was super like new. And we had like those same like 12, like tired filters. Um, (laughs) So like that era of the fact that you said Tumblr. <laughs> okay. It was, listen, it was some time ago. So that was actually like my first like, like paid, right? Job in comm, right? Working under the communications umbrella. And that was in undergrad. So I kind of had a head start, which I loved, but I think like transitioning out of that kind of through the years, it being an undergrad, learning more of like what I could do. My first like really like big girl job where I wasn't you know, freelancing was actually getting to work for a French owned denim brand called DID. And it was such a cool experience because not only was it like my first, I think like full-fledged communications role where I was able to manage, right? It's a a small, it was a small team. And so I was given a lot of agency. And now that I think back at it, like for a young person, you know, someone fresh out of college, it was pretty much like a, they took a chance on me, which I really appreciate. But I'd been connected with their, essentially their, their director of communications and we just hit it off, right? The brand was also French owned. My first language is French um, just because of like my cultural background. And so I had a really great opportunity there where I was able to like implement all of the, the sh- like the communication strategies and all like the wealth of knowledge that I had learned in undergrad and apply it to a brand that was really like, didn't have too much of a structure when it came to their comms. So I was there for a while and and really was able to grow with the brand. So that was my first job. Um, And it was an interesting experience because I think a lot of it was also me like having to build the ship as I'm also steering Mm -hmm. the ship. But it really did teach me a lot about working independently, specifically like when, you know, you're not a part of like a huge, right? 
team where you have an account director, you have an account manager, or you have someone like of people that you're working under. Um, it really did push me to be like independent and to have to gain confidence in my role as a communication specialist. Mm-hmm. Which I think is like critical, right? Even coming into like a small agency like mine, it's very much an all hands on deck approach. Like I think the unique thing about with PR is we allow, when we bring on team members, they get a sense of the different levels of work that it takes to successfully pull off a PR campaign. And so it's like kind of like all hands on deck. We don't have all the different levels of staff like a larger agency would have. But I think like that just makes the the work here more meaningful because a lot of the junior level staff get to like contribute and feel as though they're part of like the team that's making the overall strategy work and they get to get in and do pitching and doing client meetings. So I think that all hands-on approach, especially for Black women in this space, is critical because let's be real, we're not out here getting these opportunities like that and they're not giving them to us. So do you feel like that independence that you had and the agency that you were granted in that first role kind of helped you lay the foundation for the work that you would later on do with PR Girl Manifesto? Because you launched that in 2021, right? Oh, so PR Girl Manifesto actually was launched um, in 2014, right? And I'm glad that you asked that. Yeah, we've been around for some time. And it's so interesting because I think part of the, the thing is that it's existed long before anyone knew that I was like, I had founded it or did the thing. And and that was intentional, but absolutely this first role did and many of my experiences prior, right? So even though we launched in 2014, I had been interning. I had been, you know, really just getting like my feet, you know, they say get your feet wet, but I was getting my feet soaked, um, trying to get as much experience as possible. And even like in my freelancing roles, it was great to be in these spaces, but like a unifying theme of all of my Experiences and which is why I love, you know, the work that you are doing and and how the individuals who you know are working at with PR, what they're being exposed to, is because in my career, right, like it's always come with a you know a struggle to be seen and respected and valued, right. So as mm. I'm I was in these spaces and young, as like I'm a black immigrant Muslim woman, right, and so mm. a lot of my experiences in my career has been like a cycle of like consistently just trying to function within a system that in reality is really not built for me to succeed, right? Mm. And so I developed the feeling that the spaces that I was finding myself in, even like these these amazing opportunities, they just, I felt like I wasn't meant to be there and not because I wasn't qualified to be there, but because it felt like people did not, you know, want me there or didn't expect me to last long that where I was. And that showed up in many ways. So even in my first like role, I was talking. No, and it's so like, there's this like, this, this lived experience that I think that so many of us that come from like historically underrepresented and marginalized groups experience in our career trajectory, mm-hmm. right? That nobody, you know, people who, who don't come from these groups aren't necessarily like subjected to and don't exactly. understand how taxing that is. And how it affects your desire, right, to to continue in an industry, how it affects your self-worth, how you see what you're able to contribute. And so, you know, just experiencing so many things, regardless of the position or the company, like microaggressions and, and even just a lack of like resources. Like I felt like resources were being withheld from me that would have helped to, you know, you know, just maybe push my trajectory a little bit faster. Really? Yeah. And and it's because it just felt like like a, it, and oftentimes, honestly, it felt like a mean girls club, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and and it didn't matter what it didn't matter what the company was or what the role was. It just felt like I was always fighting, like, which is not it's not. It felt like it because it's the truth is that there was always this additional hurdle, right? There was always additional work that I had to do mm-hmm. just to prove that I was that you know that I, that I deserved to be in the room, that I deserved to be at the table, and so definitely that first role influenced the work mm-hmm. that PR Girl Manifesto is doing because like the feeling that I was feeling at the time when I created it, it wasn't an isolated feeling. Right. And so what it really made me like want to do after talking with so many of my peers was 
to just create a safe space where communications professionals, specifically like PR pros in its initial inception, but like now, of course, we, we touch so many like more broad aspects of communications, but a place where they felt that they like people could turn to mm-hmm. and be in community with other people really a space where we actually celebrated PR pros and comp pros of all backgrounds and where knowledge and mentorship didn't feel so transactional, right? Or that you had to look a certain way to to present or so, you, you know, and get the support that you needed essentially. And sorry, so in correction, you launched the nonprofit in 2021. You launched PR Girl Manifesto yeah. in 2014. So talk to me a little yeah. bit about those experiences though, that kind of led to you like having that community of folks that you could talk to to ultimately launch PR Girl Manifesto. Because here's the thing, because we live in such like a digital world now, like a lot of people think like the like a PR team or a publicist, like that their job really just consists of like walking these red carpets, taking photos, being around celebrities and don't necessarily understand the work that goes into an actual campaign or, or pulling off that red carpet or, you know, solidifying a talent attendance. Talk to me a little bit about uh, some of the experiences that you may have went through and that others may be going through that are listening that kind of led you to be like, you know what, we need a safe space for us because right now I don't have, I don't have it. I don't see it. And, you know, I want to create it. No, absolutely. Um, It's so, it's so interesting. It's like even like small things, like always being relegated to like having to be the person who's like, when they're looking for like a black voice, right. Or an urban voice that Right, that you're the person who they automatically, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh no, you would know because you are black," and and it's things that like people do, and they just don't realize like the impact that it has. But even like deeper than that, the amount of times that I feel like I've had to in in the past, like I've had to like fight right for brands that I was working at to see the value, and also like pitching right to publications that were black owned right or led or black led was so interesting to me like how just how people viewed right like specifically my community Mm -hmm. um in conversations in rooms where you know a big part of like the work that we do in this industry is a lot of research and development there's a lot of brainstorming right there's a lot of like collaborative work that has to happen to influence and inform strategy and just seeing so many blind spots that people didn't think like were worth exploring or worth talking about essentially like seeing how others viewed the communities and the culture that I came from was really interesting and outside of that of just like as a black PR professional not being valued right not people feeling that like if you're if you were somewhere it must have been a stroke of luck right so if I you know and and that's something that we people don't talk about Mm -hmm. like enough is that like there are so many of us that are more than qualified, right? Because, you know, a symptom of like having to always essentially advocate and, and, and like show people your worth is that, so you make proof, sure yeah. that, that your ducks are in a row yeah. and that you, you're going above and beyond. And always just have to, having to like explain to people that, no, like I'm not here because like the stars aligned or, or because like yeah. somebody like connected me. No, I'm in this room because I deserve to be in this room because my, my, my work speaks for itself because I've done the work and I've put the hours in and, and feeling that level of just like always having to, I don't want to say like be in combative mode, but always having to defend and, and be ready to defend your value. Yeah. And so that specifically, I want to say if there's, you know, there are things that are are just, just going to be a symptom of like specific industries that you work in. And there are things that like, you know, you're, you're going to experience that might be taxing, but specifically that like value piece or just feel, because when someone doesn't, perceive you as valuable right it's not just that the way that they engage with you but they also write you off someone who doesn't see you as a value doesn't think you're worth the investment right one of the things that a lot of uh, PR professionals specifically comm professionals we struggle with right is like is that retention like of like actually staying in the industry there were so many people entering the PR industry that were like young black women when I started and so many of them transitioned to other industries because mm. of like just 
how toxic it was. And so these experiences really were were like some of the leading like reasons why I felt it was so important to start Piargo Manifesto. There people, you know, and, and interestingly enough, because people look at like, remember the era of like, oh, I want to be like Samantha Jones. We had mm-hmm. there's a Samantha Jones consistently reflected back at us. Um, there was the era of Empire Girls, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of people's yes, we're Empire Girls, yeah, right? <laughs> all people saw was like, oh, PR professionals, they just like socialize, yeah. they just like we're always at a party. They're all, but it's like because that's what people were seeing. But even in that, right? Like to always be at a party or to like say I have an event, planning has to be done yeah. on that event, whether you know what was. The fact of the matter is, whatever, whether whatever, what was being shown on us, like somebody was doing the work, somebody mm-hmm. was planning, and I'm pretty sure it was someone you know that looked like me and you behind the scenes. And so it was just really, it's just like interesting the perception that people have of like what pub, like what publicists do mm-hmm. and what comms is when it requires so much, right? It requires you to to just one have you have to be quick on your feet, right? You have to be really good at like picking up on cues, social listening. You have to like know, you got to be like almost like the feds where like when you're looking for a contact, when you're looking for a specific brand, like it can require so much like research and development and so many like skills that people I think often have brushed over. And so one, again, having to, to meet the standard of like what it what it means to be in this industry and then like still having to like fight. So on top of like, all right, I am, am doing my I'm doing my absolute best to make sure that I am showing up as my as my best like career professional. I am doing the work, but I still have to like fight for you to see my value or if, if you know something's amazing, like like people are still writing it off because they don't want to give you, you know, praise. They don't want to give you acknowledgement because like, oh, we don't want, you know, someone's head to get too big. Oh, and it, it's such a, like a toxic, it was, cause you know, now I'm on, on a, in a different, a different role in the comm industry, but it was just such a toxic environment. And it wasn't something that was happening in a silo, right? It wasn't just me. So many other of my friends that were black women specifically and friends that were people of color were experiencing these same things. And it just felt so unfair that like we would have to experience these things and not have resources. So it's just like, I'm, I'm in this space, I'm in a toxic environment and I'm not getting the support that I need, right? I'm not getting it from like senior leadership. I'm not getting it from coworkers. So like it has to come from somewhere. And not only am I not the only one feeling like this, but I, it we can't be the first people that have felt like this, right? And so that really prompted me to think about like what, community could look like and what a safe space could look like for us because like I love the industry and I hated feeling like I could not sustain or stay in the industry because of what I was up against. Mm. Girl I wish PR Girl Manifesto was around when I first launched with PR because I mean honestly serious I was like I felt like I was in a silo and like I didn't know or have anyone else that was going through what I was going through in terms of like trying to prove my worth to clients, trying to really break down the industry in the process. So like, I'm grateful that, and, and I'm happy to see that you have been able to develop this community. So like young professionals of color can like learn, communicate and build like relationships Thank to help you. them thrive in this industry because it is, it can be a toxic industry. It can be extremely demoralizing and lonely you know even today as like a a founder of a firm I still have people that question our worth as an agency question every single thing that we do and honestly I think it's because we're black they don't do it to our white counterparts or um, the white larger agencies where they pay like thousands of dollars more to on a monthly retainer so like I still watch, I still kind of get cues and tips from PR Girl Manifesto for myself because we're still coming across these barriers as an agency that's been able to do work successfully for, for 10 years. So no, and it's really affirming and great to hear that because it's like, to be honest, it's, it's the need that keeps the, like the community going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people are like, 
how you've had this thing for so long. Like, you know, we were also in the era of like when community digital communities were becoming a thing. And it's like, you know, it's a lot of it is a lot of work that people don't see, but like to know that it it's a resource and to hear, you know, testimonies like yours and to hear other people like your PR manifesto is what like, you know, really like has kept me sane, you mm-hmm. know, in, in, in this industry, like it means a lot because it's what I, to what you're saying, it's what I wish, you know, I had and in, because in not having it, right. I was prompted to create it because I just didn't want anyone else to experience that. Mm-hmm. I didn't want people to feel alone. And also I didn't feel like knowledge sharing, like should be transactional. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like not the first of our, you know, of our kind, the work that we do, individuals have done it before but I think what has what changed or, or what I wanted how I wanted it to be different was that it felt like so much was transactional and while I believe people like should of course you know like if you've built years of knowledge if you built resources I absolutely understand the need to like to you know charge for it and I completely uh, understand but it just felt like what about the people who don't have the means right what about the people who might be experiencing or have a little like not only like an access barrier but also like they can't commit to like being a part of a trade organization because dues are too much mm-hmm. like you know when you're starting your career like you're yeah. you're not getting that much and so just really thinking through that lens as well um and so it's really great to hear reflected back that like you know the work is is touching and and impacting the spaces and the people that you know I've had wanted it to reach. Love it. So what prompted you to turn this into a nonprofit organization? Yeah. So I definitely just felt like it was time to scale Mm -hmm. and choosing how to scale was really important to me. Right. I, we've been a digital community for so long and it's been great, but I just knew that there was more that we could do and it's always been in service. Right. So the work that I do and the work that we do through peer government manifesto has always been in service of communications professionals. And so transitioning into a nonprofit felt like the most impactful way to do that, right? The work that we had already been doing was like, all right, well, we're not trying to turn this into like a, to be honest, an organization that is like a, you, you have to, you know, pay membership dues. That's not the, what I wanted for it at all. Mm-hmm. But I also we could just do more, we could reach more people, and that we could, you know, build out programs and, and do things like our, you know, our report and our some of our initiatives through transitioning into a nonprofit. It just felt like that's what the next level of work was for us. Okay. So how big is the staff now for the brand? Yeah, so we're still a fairly small team. We've got about like four people. It's still small. We are like in that process of like, all right, we've transitioned into a non. If you're enjoying this episode with Fatu, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes with amazing women sharing their journeys to success drop every other week. I hope you tune in. Profit. We've really been spending the last year working on our theory of change and, like, you know, honing in on how we plan to like change the industry. So, like, if PR Go Manifesto, you know, exists. X, Y, and Z, you know, is able to happen. And so we've been, we've been spending that time really strategizing and trying to 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 essentially like figure out and, and hone in on, on what the model looks like based on our theory of change, right? So like, how can we make the most impact? Um, what does that look like? So there's been so many um, moving pieces because it's also interesting enough, like it, there's a learning curve for me, right? Mm-hmm. It's a different when you're working with, nonprofits on the client side versus when you are building your own Mm -hmm. um, and understanding all of the different pieces and and things that go into that, right? So it's like, all right, we're going to need an executive director, right? And then like, after we get an executive director, like we're working on strategic plans. There's just so much that goes into it, but it's been really, it's been a great experience. I can say like, it's definitely where now I'm like back in the, the seat of being a student while entering a space that like, yeah, I've been adjacent to for some time, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, understanding like now the nitty gritty of what that means. So that's like the phase that we've, we've been in and it's been interesting. So part of that, like I said, is we're still a small team. So we're still trying to figure out, you know, outside of our, like our content and our programming team who have like members, people have been with us for a while. Like what are the other, you know, roles that we need? I'm hoping that 
the next time that we have this conversation or talk, I'll be like, yeah, we've got like a team of like 20 <laughs> spread across the US. But yeah, we've got right now we have their four members to our um, our executive team. Like you better claim that um, that 20 person team. And like, I mean, e- even though you have a small team before, like you were mighty, you were pumping out content and um, you're making it work. Yeah. And it's so it's so funny because people are under the impression that there's like a large team. And I'm just like, listen, th- this is just the magic of what happens when you like put like four determined black women Come together. On. Okay. Who are able to like, really, you know, do some amazing work. I- I'm never not amazed by like what we're able to do because like, you know, again, being in spaces adjacent to this and into the nonprofit space and seeing like uh, other teams function, like, so many people have like these large 10 to 15, you know, um, member teams. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, we're keeping up with those people. We're keeping up with those organizations. So I am like very proud of of the work that we do. Um, and I'm really proud of like how we do it and the, and the individuals who are a part of it. So you're also the co-founder of Hold the Press, right? So talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about that organization and what's the mission and vision behind it. Yeah, so Hold the Press is an advocacy group. Um, it's committed to improving like diversity in the public relations and communications industry. The initiative was actually founded about two years ago in response to specifically PR agencies and firms publicly sharing words of solidarity mm-hmm. um, in reaction to police brutality protests, in reaction to the murders of Ahmad Aubrey, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor, and the reality that you know, in practice, like black employees specifically remain underrepresented and marginalized in the community mm-hmm. um, and industry. So that was kind of our, it, and it felt so insulting, I think, mm-hmm. to be a black publicist mm-hmm. and to see black squares mm-hmm. and to be like, your black employees like are going through absolute hell daily working at your agency or your firm right so how could you ever in good like good faith and good moral standing post a black square and so what we did is we asked like agencies who posted like those squares or or who shared words of solidarity for their organizational diversity breakdowns um and for the current number of employees who are black who were in executive roles and also like the amount of client accounts are black owned and, and if they were working with any black owned vendors right as well as action plans, because as we all know, diversity is a is a huge, huge issue in the PR industry. And unfortunately, it's one of those things that like we people know that it exists, but like so many people brush over it because of the nature of, of the work that we do, where most of the times you, know, you don't really know who's in the agency that's representing a brand, right? So it's easy for a lot of these PR agencies to hide their like their poor diversity practices. And so we've been collecting data for the last two years and then even in the first year, right? So we we just like found so much out about like what the current state of the industry or the PR industry looked like through the agencies that were um, submitting their data. And again, it's this reality that PR agencies are hiding their poor diversity practices and many of them behind like their holding companies, right? So there's like a lack of transparency and accountability. So the work with Hold the Press is making sure that like we are, you know, pushing for like those changes by making sure that one, everybody knows where we stand, right? Because you can't, one, you can't fix what you can't, which you don't know you need to fix it, which you you know you don't have the the insight or the or the knowledge to know. And so it's important that like, you know, we weren't expecting you know, like we weren't surprised by the results that we got. We weren't. We knew <laughs> we knew what we were going to get, but there was that reality that like it needed to, to just be public knowledge and it needed to be transparent. And so since then we've been we've been doing data tracking. We've also, you know, have some initiatives that we have put out there to kind of just really like make sure that we're supporting and amplifying like black talent in the PR industry. So we have our black in PR video series where, you know, we we're talking and we're sharing the stories of black public relations professionals. We're sharing their experiences. We're highlighting them in an industry that often, you know, tends to like not not give black com professionals or black PR professionals are flowers. Period. Even though mm-hmm. no and it is yeah, it's wild like that, that it feels like Black PR pros have to, again, this idea of like jumping through hoops, like have to do so much to get just a sliver of acknowledgement mm-hmm. when there's so 
many other PR professionals in the world who get celebrated for doing the bare, bare minimum, minimum, right? bare minimum. I'm just going to say like, and a lot of these larger firms use these Black PR professionals to get Black business. Like that's what blows my mind. Yes. No, absolutely. And it's just like, so for us, it's like, this is, this is one, a safe space, right? Our stake, you know, our stakeholders are, are our Black employees. They're Black PR professionals. That's who we are like committed to and that's who we are dedicated to. And so that's the work that we do through there. Um, we're working on a few other things, you know, that I'm I'm excited about, you know, such as like a, you know, a talent data bank, you know, job boards, being able to actually like foster like relationships with firms and agencies so that we can ensure that Black talent is being placed there. And so just really trying to to make sure that we are, we're doing our part to, to bridge the gaps that exist for other Black PR professionals. And then, so why did you feel this path or journey in the industry was better suited for you than becoming or running your own firm? That, that's a great question, because there have been times where I've been like, you know, it might just make more sense or no, rather I have, there was a dream of mine, right? To, um, to have a PR firm. And I think for me, the type of person that I am, like I've always been somebody who has been just an individual who likes to be in service to people. It's a big part of the reason why communications and PR made sense to me. There is the work that I can do for other people, but then there's the work that I can do for others who are entering this industry and for the next generation. Um, And I think this work is often taxing. So you won't see many people like you know, want, maybe they want to do it, but they also understand like just the implications of of saying that, Hey, I'm going to bridge knowledge and equity gaps and what that means for them and and the work that they do. But this just feels right. Right. The ability to like actually make a change or to influence change is what gives me the most joy and the most satisfaction and to see like just the impact, right. of, Of how, something small that we might do might change the the trajectory of someone else's career. So this path was definitely better suited for me because it's just aligned with so much of how I see what my work is in this world and in this lifetime. I'm super passionate about making sure that like the next generation and even like those in the industry right now are just better supported and have better resources. And I think that this is the thing that like yeah, you know, I can, I could start a PR firm. It, it could be successful. I could, you know, once my time on this earth is done, it could, it could either go away or it could be passed on to someone else. But I truly feel that like when this work that I'm doing right now is what influences people to like understand that they can strive for better and that, that we're also like all in some way, like responsible for each other, right? I grew up in a very like community oriented, like family and and being able to support and help others was a big value and it bleeds into everything that I do. So for me, this path was better suited just because it feels again, like the the type of work that I want to do. And it's been so fulfilling to me to know that like something that we, a seed that we might've planted, a connection that we might've made, a resource that we might've shared has been the thing that has changed someone's career trajectory, empowered them, or, or just given them the confidence and access to go after they, they, what they want specifically in, in this space. I love that. And so you've grown the PR Girl Manifesto community to over 40,000. And like you said, you've been providing a space for resources in the communication space. But how do you think you've been able to do that? How how have you been able to grow this brand to over 40,000, you know, followers, supporters, fans? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think at at its core, right, is by community, is by keeping community front and center. So our, our why, right, has not changed. Um, Our who hasn't changed either. And it's always been about like, making sure that we're community building like so some it's interesting because people will use community building as an engagement or a marketing strategy right and for us it's not a strategy it's who we are and so I think that's why we've been able to sustain and grow because like it's clear that who we're serving is the community one and two like the resources that we provide like are valuable resources right so we're really intentional about like 
who we're connecting with, how we're connecting with them, and and what resources and opportunities we're able to give to our our community members. And like, if someone feels like safe, right? If someone feels like they're a part of something meaningful, they're going to want to share it. They're going to want to like invite other people to join it. And I think it's because we're relatable, right? So we're not presenting as anything that we're not. And, And I say that in the sense of like, you know, we talk about like professional, like how you should, how you should be uh, perceived or how you should portray yourself professionally online or like what you should be talking about. And for us, like we want a place where there is both professional and personal development. And we also wanted like a plate, wanted to create a place where people felt like they could relate. And our content is reflective of that. It really um, is. And that's it really why is. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's why our content has such a huge like shareability, right? Like factor to it where people are sharing it. People are resonating with it and wanting to like just share that with other people. And so like, you know, through content sharing, people are coming across. So I think it's the content. I think it's the the way that we've structured also the community where like we're not requiring people to show up as anything other than what they are. So you don't have to come into any space that we create or any space that we, you know, are a part of feeling as though you have to posture or feeling as though like you have to engage in any type of like, you know, just the politics that come with professional. No, I yeah, I, mean, I love it. Like the content is like Thank informative, you. it's relatable and it makes folks, especially people of color feel seen. Yeah, so, you know, I love it. I'm a huge fan. It makes me feel so like, it makes me feel so happy. And that is like very much like we, I have the greatest content lead. I'm going to shout her out. Gabby is just like amazing at understanding, you know, the voice that we have encompassed and, and like what we want to continue to push out there. And I think it's like I said, the content, the community and the access because one of the things that we're like super like doubling down on and and have doubled down on in the past is like we want to like we're not I don't believe in gatekeeping right Mm -hmm. so like this is not a space where you know like I've seen other mentorship programs where like you know you have to sign you have to sign up or apply for to get access to like you know whether it be like intimate conversation or lunch and learn or something like that so someone is almost like vetting you or trying to see if you're valuable enough to to be in front of you know Mm -hmm. like whoever the mentor or the speaker is we don't do any of that right or even like policing how people engage I think we give resources on you know if you're in a in like a fireside chat like Maybe these are the questions that you want to, you know, want to ask, but we're not telling people you can't ask questions. You can't like, no, none of that. So we're not gatekeeping. We are not um, requiring people to show up as something that they're not. And I think all of that resonates, right? Mm-hmm. The community knows that the community knows where we stand. You know, we don't have one foot in, one foot out. Like we're very clear about who we serve and, and, and what type of community we're trying to build. And that resonates with people. And I think the most beautiful thing for me is that like, it's, it's a global community, Come right? On. Like at any, not, and I, that's just it's wild, but so amazing to me that like at any time, like we host some, we host like a webinar or we host a, a professional development session, like, and we ask, and it's intentional, or it's like, oh, where are you tuning in from? We've got Europe, we've got like Asia, we've got Africa, and that is just so fulfilling to me, as especially somebody who grew up in a very like multicultural background, mm-hmm. right? To know that like we're doing is transcending like you know just look it doesn't matter where you're from that that people see this value people who are like oh man I wish I had something like this like you know here in Indonesia like that's amazing Mm. to me to like think that people see so much value in this we're not just you know uh, we're not just like a, a platform that turns out content we are connecting people we are you know we are being kind of like the voice and, and, and just that connecting piece for so many people who are looking for advice. We get emails all the time asking for like career advice, asking for like, can we do like information interviews with anyone on your team, you know? And and then we're able to then push that out to like our network of people already in the industry. Like, hey, would you be interested in like, you know, knowledge sharing with a, a student? Would you be interested in knowledge sharing with a, someone who's looking to transition into the industry? And really just like creating a space, one, not only where we're like creating for the community, but we're also giving opportunities, right? We talk about, you know, we and we touched on this, like this is an industry that like is very selective about who it gives flowers to. Mm-hmm. And like, we, like we're trying to just like get rid of that, you know, like 
sometimes like people are not people are, are not the most visible people, but it doesn't mean that they do not have a wealth of knowledge to share. Mm-hmm. And so I think the great thing about our community is that everybody's at the same level, right? Like we don't, there's no sense of like hierarchy. There's no sense of like elitism. Like it's really rooted in wanting to make sure that the community, one is safe, the community is resourceful and that we're all like in like connecting with each other and sharing with each other. And I think all of those things have attributed to its growth. Love it. So now I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. I want you to just answer with the first thought or response that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. So I want you to finish the sentence. I am. Ooh. I am determined. (laughs) If you could have a one hour conversation with yourself from 10 years ago, what would you discuss? Ooh, I would. I would discuss the importance of understanding that the path that you're on is your path um, and no one else's. Mm. Yeah, I would talk about uh, being flexible about the journey and headstrong in the destination. Oh, I love it. Okay, so where's the first place you go to get your news? Is it Instagram, Twitter, or do you go the traditional route and turn on the TV and watch your morning news? So I'm a big CNN girl. Yes! Um, I have it on right now. I have it on right now. Yes. And part of it is nostalgic too, right? Because like when I was growing up, that's what would be on on the TV in the mornings, right? So it's just a second nation to me now when I'm like in an adult in my own like space. All right. Turn on CNN and watch the news, right? That's how I like to start off my day before even like getting on the internet. Are you a let's talk on the phone or please text don't call kind of person? Oh, please text don't call. <laughs> please text. <laughs> okay, so Fatu, I want to ask you two last questions before we run out of time. But what advice would you give someone that's just starting out in the comms or PR industry? Oh, good question. I would tell someone to really like explore all that this industry has to offer, right? I think one of the things that I, that I often see is that people get so locked in into like what they think a linear career trajectory looks like, specifically in the communications and mm-hmm. PR industry. And it very so often looks like that, right? And there's so much that you can do. And so I really encourage people to be flexible and, and to be open to like the breadth of possibilities that exist in the, in the comms and PR industry. Um, I encourage people to... to to get as much ex- as experience as as they can, right? So like if there is something happening, even in, if it's your first role, if you're interning and there is an opportunity to learn something new, there's an opportunity to engage in something new that might not be what you like, you know, studied or, or intended to be your concentration, still explore it. Um, I have found so many people find their footing in something else outside of what they thought. So they thought, yeah, I, I want to do like, you know, I, I definitely traditional PR, um, media relations, and then finding that they excel in another, like a completely different aspect mm-hmm. of the industry. So really just being flexible about that, I think is important. And then lastly, what's next for the PR Girl Manifesto brand? So much. Yes. Um, I'm really excited. So we are going to be launching our crowdfunding campaign. And I'm super excited about this because like we've just recognized that the next phase of the work, one, we we wanted to give the community an opportunity to like to be a part of like how we are choosing to to just scale. Right. And it's something that I'm so excited about because we've been working on like really, again, this this idea and just this value that we want to make sure that we always are doing as as much as we can for the community. So we've got some really cool um, and interesting programming series about to like take center stage. We may or may not. People just have to wait and see, but we might have some in real life pop-ups and activations happening soon. But it's a heavy programming year and a heavy kind of like for us outreach year of really just making sure that we are reaching as many people as we can. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, You know, I think how we exist as a community is is amazing and and what we put out is amazing. But like, I know that there's just so much more connection and um, and knowledge and and just experiences to be had. So I'm excited for this next year of of programming and and new ways for all of us to connect with each other. Ooh, I can't wait to hear more. Exciting. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. So let's, let's wrap it up in by you sharing where can folks find and follow you, but also where can they, you know, join the PR Girl Manifesto community? Yeah. So I'll start with the PR Girl Manifesto community. We, you know, please connect with us. Um, our website is prgirlmanifesto.org. Um, we also are on all of these social platforms and it's at PR Girl Manifesto. We like, yes, if you are listening and you are looking for a community of communications professionals, please, we are waiting for you. And we are we are hoping, you know, to to continue meeting amazing um, comm professionals through the, our website. You can find access to our um, our community hub, which is our like our social private network for comm professionals. We've also got links to like hold the press and uh, the Pulse of PR report that we are working on there as well. So it's it's our hub for, for our work. For me, you can find me on LinkedIn at Fatu B. Barry. Please connect with me. Also, you can visit fatuberry.com as well to connect. Fatu, thank you so much for joining me today. And y'all go sign up, go follow, and go get involved with the PR Girl Manifesto. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I have loved our conversation. And again, I'm just so grateful for you and the work that you do. And it is an honor to have spent time with you all today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening today. Thank you to our guest, Fatu Barry. This show is hosted by me, Drina Whitfield, produced by Keena Williams and Blake Lou Merwin, edited by Matt Pro, and brought to you by Wit Productions. If you loved today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll see you back here on the next episode. Oh, and if you want to keep up with me, you can follow me on Instagram at Drina with PR. That's D R E E N A W H I T P R. You can also follow the show at How I Got Here underscore. And of course, you can always follow with PR at Wit PR W H I T P R. See you next time. Thanks. <laughs>